0: 7654321. Welcome to the grinder. Today we are with James Chapman as always and we have a very special guest, Chris Smith, and he's going to give us some background and we're going to run into his book that he put out as well as mindset and business. What's going on, Chris?
1: Not much, man. Thanks for having me on. Lo- love seeing you guys doing a podcast.
0: Yeah, that's it's 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 been it's been a minute, but we, uh, we're we kind of getting it, getting the process going, and it's been good.
1: Good.
2: Chris, so t- tell us a little bit. How'd you get in? Uh, where'd you start at? You know, kind of give us the, the quick uh, biography.
1: Yeah, I started in Lakeland, Florida, a place called Polk County. I'm from a very small place. I grew up in chicken farms and uh, cow pastures and orange groves, you know. And I think a lot of times if you're from a small place, you want to get out and do something bigger with your life, and that's really w- what I've been doing ever since is how can I take the, the skills and gifts that I have and apply them to growing a, a large, profitable company that I'm proud of, and uh, I had a very blessed kind of career. I, I w- have worked for two different billionaires, and when I was working for uh, the, these billionaires, I was doing phone sales, kind of like the Wolf of Wall Street kind of stuff. And I learned so much about human psychology and the science of sales. You know, what are the magic words? What are the scripts and dialogues? What should you say? How should you say it? When should you say it? So that you get the outcome that you're looking for. So I worked for two different billionaires and and learned a ton about sales. And then I ended up working for Realtor.com, which most people are familiar with, top producer, They're all owned by a billion-dollar company called Move Incorporated. And so when I was working there, I really learned about online advertising. At the time, Realtor.com was still number one ahead of Zillow. And I learned a lot about CRMs and websites and marketing automation. Like, as you guys probably know, like Top Producer has like an action plan, right? Like, the lead comes in, then this task gets assigned, and then this drip email goes out. So I had a great experience And as a part of that, I started a blog called Tech Savvy Agent. I started getting into YouTube and Facebook way before most people. I would say at least the coaches in the real estate industry were still saying that those were were kind of toys for toddlers and that you should do your real job. And uh, I just didn't look at it that way. So I ended up working for Dotloop, helping them get acquired by Zillow. Uh, They got acquired for $108 million. And I also worked for Inman News, which is the largest news resource in the industry. Uh, and as, as Keller Williams agents or, you know, wherever you guys are at, I'm sure you, you read Inman News and you keep up with their stuff. So, you know, boiler rooms with billionaires, worked for a billion dollar publicly traded company, worked for a startup that got acquired, you know, worked for a media company. And I took all of that collective experience and I started Curator which is what I do now. We're six years old. We help people grow their business through doing great marketing and great follow-up and uh, wrote a couple books along the way. But I, I would say that's a pretty good uh, mini bio if I, could, if I can give one out.
2: Did you ever, I mean, did you always want to write a book or did, did that, is that something that just kind of happened? You're like, man, I got I to gotta put this on paper. I, I mean, people need to see this.
1: Yeah, so many people have come to me now that I'm a best-selling author and I have a couple books now. I'm actually working on my third book. You know, everybody comes to me and says they want to write a book. And it's like, well, number one, what makes you qualified to write a book? And then number two, like, just go fucking write it. <laughs> like, the, 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 the hard part about writing a book is writing a great book. You know, getting it printed and getting it sold and getting a publisher, like, that's easy. People are avoiding the work of writing the book. So, to answer your question, I've always wanted to do big things with my life. I don't know if I was growing up and I was 14 and I thought I'm going to be an author. But when I got hired at Dotloop, I, I partnered up with Austin Allison and it was very clear that he was a sharp guy. And we definitely wrote a book as a strategy. Like at the time that we wrote People Work, that was my first book. So, I have two books now. People Work is my first book. And then Conversion Code is the more famous book uh, that went more viral. In fact, uh, Conversion Code, I mean, if you're in Poland, you know, you can get Conversion Code. Like, the Conversion <laughs> Code is everywhere now. If you've got a CD player, okay, you can get the Conversion Code. Like, the Conversion Code blew up, but it really came down to like, we we believe there was a better way to run a business than was out there. And we believe that the marketing and sales tactics that we knew worked were better than what was being done. Um, so, you know, I I make jokes that like I had a blog for a long time before I had a book and no one ever asked me to sign my blog. So yes, having a book is a differentiator. Uh, that being said, the bigger differentiator is having the knowledge that means you should write a book.
2: That's key. Wow. That's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, w- when is your uh, third book going to be coming out?
1: It's coming out not that long from now. I can't talk about it because we've got a huge promotion campaign behind it, but I would say that if if people love the conversion code, they're going to love this book. You know, real estate is about conversations, Right. Real estate, you end up having a a lot of common conversations, you end up with a lot of critical conversations, and then you end up with a lot of objections and obstacles while you have those conversations. So I can't give away too much, but I will say that if if you're looking for someone to put the words in your mouth and, and literally tell you what to say when this happens, that, that's the direction of the book. We think that, you know, I talk about in the conversion code, there's a stat that human communication is 55% physiology and body language. 38% is your tone, like how you sound, not what you say. 7% is the words you say. So the idea there is that you can fake it till you make it. Like even if you don't even know what you're saying, as long as you're saying it with enthusiasm, like you can sell some stuff. Yeah. What this book's going to tackle is that 7% of the words you use and how if you use the right words at the right time, you will win. So it's really exciting. I'll have more information soon. But yeah, I guess I like writing books. That'll be my third one. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really fun. And the way I would say it is like when you write a blog or if you do a video on YouTube or if you do a podcast like this, it has a lot of impact for a short amount of time. You know, or actually I would say it has a little bit of an impact for a little bit of time. When you write a book, it has a lot of impact for a lot of time. So it's more just about like, you obviously, like I spent like 10 years learning what's in those books. And then I spent six to 12 months writing them. And then I spent two to three years promoting them. So it's just different. But I have interviewed agents with books. You know, there's a book called Selling Luxury Real Estate by a guy named Jack Cotton. It, it blew up his brand and business to write the book on selling luxury real estate. So I think there's an opportunity for agents to do it. I actually think a better book for a lot of real estate agents would be like the guide to the area, like the best things to do in Atlanta, on a budget, with a family, for couples, like, you know, kind of being that digital mayor versus being that digital agent. I think that the expertise and knowledge of these local areas like when I moved into where I'm at, the first thing I did was called the realtors that I know and said, hey, who do you know that can paint my house? Hey, who do you know that can put up a fence? Hey, who do you know that does pools? Hey, our freaking air conditioner busted, right? Who do you know that like, so I think agents have that network, they just don't position it properly. Um, But yeah, books are a good strategy if you can pull them off.
2: Yeah, I mean, talking about that with a real estate agent, I mean, one of the things that's always impressed me, not being a real estate agent, is somebody who can tell me more about, you know, in in more detail about the area, the history of something. Or, you know, you're in downtown, oh, that's the old, you know, uh, uh, whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. mill building, and this is when somebody bought it, and then it became the, you know, the hardware store. And this is just like, wow, I mean, this person really the The right energy that can come out of that when they're having those conversations, not just what the current uh, market is doing that day. You well, know? Do you
1: do you guys remember a few years ago when there was this little craze of 365 things to do in? Like yep. th- th- there was a girl named Christy, and she she did it in Austin, Texas, and I mean it blew up. Like sh- she got so famous and became so well known from that. I don't even think she's a realtor anymore. I think she's like a local personal brand. And I saw a lot of other people do that. I saw Dale Chumley, 365 things to do in Clark County, Washington. You know, I saw people in Nashville and Tampa and Atlanta copy the same strategy. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. Like The thing with real estate that you guys have to always try to remember is that less than 5% of people need you this year. So if 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 less than 5% of the population needs what you happen to sell you've got to come up with ways to keep the other 95% engaged until they do.
0: And th- that 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 makes a a very big deal when it comes down to how many people you're talking to, what you're talking to them about. Mm-hmm. Uh, like James is in insurance. I'm in real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm Mikella Williams. And a lot of what you say in the conversion code doesn't just directly apply to real estate agents alone. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of that can be also be used in what James does as well. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, I, I, It does. I mean, tactics are tactics. Like I started my first sales job. I sold vacations. And then my second sales job, I sold loans, okay? And then my third sales job, I sold software. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And what I, what I found was that the tactics and strategies that led to a yes didn't change. Mm-hmm. What changed was the product, right? So there are parts of your script that certainly would change. Like one of the things I teach is FBT, feature benefit tie-down. Well, your features and thus benefits as an insurance person versus a realtor are different. Just like selling a vacation versus selling dot loop. But the framework with which you present what you sell does not need to change. And that was really the reason I wrote the book is I saw, okay, whether I'm selling CRM, electronic signature software, vacations, loans, like the script works because the script is simply an order in which to have the right conversation i mean you could apply this not even just to business i have an example about applying it to my kids you know if if i want to get my daughter to clean her room right i can approach that a few ways hey maya go clean your room anyone that has kids that one doesn't work real good just just to get, if you're if you don't have kids yet that one doesn't work real good yeah that that's because that's what you want. What does she want? The benefit, right? So that feature that I want is her getting to go play with her friend. Right. And so if you, if you take it and you say, Hey Maya, I need you to clean your room. As soon as it's done, you can go play with Sophia outside. You want to play outside with Sophia, right? Right. Okay, cool. So now all of a sudden the, 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 the clean room is an enabler of her having time outside with her friend. So I don't even necessarily know if it's just a business tactic, if it's just a human tactic. Yeah. There, there is a better way to have conversations that there, there's this people, they call it speaking in tie downs. Some people do this very naturally. Hey, Maya, you're going to clean your room. Yeah. Is it going to be done in the next five minutes? Yeah. I'm I'm tying her down to doing it right. Hey, Uh, We work at Keller Williams. We have the most agents in the world. That's a feature. The benefit of that to you as a consumer is that we can send this listing to the other Keller Williams agents and we can get it sold a lot of times a a way that is non-traditional. You do want to sell your home using every possible tactic, right? Right. That's the tie down. So I can go teach a car dealership. I can go teach an accountant, an insurance person, I can teach anyone how to sell because the framework is the same. The difference is really just what you sell and how you position it.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's so much, is just sold on the on the benefit of just that one thing. And, and like you're saying, I mean, really, if you engage back in a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, if you're actually having a conversation instead of a sales pitch, you know, you find out needs, and then you can help answer those needs and then bring them, like you say, the tie downs. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah.
1: And just to give you some data, like I have never been able to close someone in less than about 20 minutes and I've never needed more than about an hour. Okay. Wow. But if if you're thinking about what is the conversation time frame that leads to a yes, it ain't two minutes. Not if you sell real estate, not if you sell curator, you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if, if you sell, Shampoo, I might be able to get you if you want to buy my book. Like, I, I think I could sell you my book in two minutes. But curator is over $1,000 a month. You know, hiring a real estate agent is a, is, a, is a pretty big, hairy decision. And there's a lot of money on the line. So I, I would say, ultimately, um, you're right. It, one of my uh, philosophies in the book is that conversations create customers, and that's where most people fall short. They get on the phone, and they get kind of a brick wall early in the call, and they just go into order taker mode. They don't know how to get around that brick wall and how to keep that conversation going. The other thing I've found is that there, there's two types of questions when you're talking to people. There's the questions you have to ask, and there's the questions you get to ask. It's a big difference. So as an example, if you're selling, do you sell life insurance?
2: Uh, a little bit. We're primarily focused on property and cash, but Yes, we do.
1: Okay, so let's let's just use life for one for one yeah. second here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to ask people how old they are, right? You have to ask people, do you smoke, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- there are qualification questions you have to ask. But when somebody says they're thirty nine, there are questions you could then ask after that right? Yeah. Or you could just keep going to the next question. So if you're saying, hey, Chris, so how old are you? I say, oh, 39. You can say, okay, great. And uh, how big's your house? Or you could say, oh, 39, the big 40s coming up. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> I, I, I actually turned 42 years ago and I know that feeling. Are, are you nervous? Are you excited? That's what a good salesperson does. They get the, they get the answer to the question they have to ask. And then they turn it into a couple more questions they get to ask. That's called rapport, right? That's mm-hmm. called building rapport. That's called developing a relationship. But if you do things like say, hey, what's your time frame for moving? Oh, we need to be out of the house in six months. Okay. And what area are you looking for next? You're skipping this such an important thing of like, why six months? What is happening six months from now that's okay. Cause it's such a specific number. So like, There's a technique called the digging deep technique. And the concept is you only really want to script like six to eight qualifying questions because those six to eight should lead to one or two more that you can't script because it's listening and responding to the answer they gave.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And it is because
1: every, this
0: is, this is not only in sales, this is, actually listening to people when they talk, Mm -hmm. you know, this is building relationships even further. Um, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's just people you're meeting on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. this is how you get to have those relationships with people going and understanding what you have to go further into. It allows you to build relationship up to, to become more than what it is. And I, I think, I think being able to understand, when it's time to ask those questions to go further in and when, you know, when to move on to the next question.
1: But well, here's a, there's two things that are true on every sales call. One is we know you have a solution. Two is I know that you don't know my problems. And the problem is that most people try to present the solutions before they truly understand the problems the person's going through. Like if it is keeping someone up at night that they don't have life insurance and they're worried about that, that is a problem that if you establish, the solution is much more appealing. You know, it it reminds me of when I did loans. Everybody in the mortgage business, they say, what's the interest rate? That's a smokescreen. You know what? Do you realize how many people in this country are broke Do you realize how many people in this country can't afford their bills? Do you realize how many people in this country don't have any money left over at the end of the month? Do you realize how many people in this country are in debt and have cash flow going out more than they have coming in and they're getting in credit card debt on top of the student loan debt, on top of the medical debt? So you can try to come at me and say, what are the rates? But I know what you're really saying. I know what you're really saying is – I need some help lowering my payment, right? And So what we always looked at was like, if I run the numbers on a loan, saving somebody $400 a month, for some people, that's all they need to hear. But when you can be the consultant that you all say you are, and if you can figure out what is that $400 gonna go to now, because if that $400 is going to a car that you need, because you only own one and your wife has taken the bus, that's a big deal. If that $400 is going to a savings account so that your kids actually get to go to college and you never got to go, that's a big deal. So what I'm trying to do is I gotta figure that out because if all I'm doing is selling rate and selling payment, I'm missing the whole point. What is the purpose of the lower payment? It isn't just that they want to save X amount per month. It's what will they then do with that money that they save? Imagine what it's going to feel like when you actually have $20,000 in your kid's college fund. That's going to feel great, right? Yeah. Okay. Well that starts today.
2: I like that. The, um, going back a little bit, just talk about the conversation. I will say, I mean, I've been in insurance 16, um, coming up on 16 years now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, Uh, It was brought out when doing, you know, going through a sales process, you know, fact finding. uh, Somebody brought out a point that just really blew me away. I've been in it long enough where I pretty much, I I feel like I know most situations Mm -hmm. that come up. Like Mm -hmm. when you start talking about something, I kind of already know. I get the gist and I jump in and I'm already presenting solutions Mm -hmm. before I let you finish telling me that. And it's, it's taking people who are good salespeople and stopping them from being great. And I realized that's me. To a T, I've mm-hmm. been that guy for so many years. I probably missed out on so many things where I could really help my client even more. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they start explaining their situation, I wouldn't let them finish because I already got the idea and I would already be driving solutions. And I probably cut myself and my client short mm-hmm. many, many times over many, many years. So, you know, you talked about that where you really let people go through. I mean, everybody listening, they, you take note on that, how much you're costing yourself and your client. No matter what you do, Mm -hmm. if you don't ask the questions and then let them finish and then probably ask some more questions after that.
1: Well, James, the other thing is people do this when they get a referral. Okay. So they get a referral from a friend. And what I call what you're talking about is you always have to take it from the top. You can't skip any steps. Like what, what the best salespeople in the world are is they're better at being bored than you. It gets boring. I get it. You've got your buyer personas. You can establish which buyer persona it is within the first few minutes of a call. You can kind of very quickly figure out, like, oh, this is their trigger, and so you try to pull it. And I, I, I can't, You're absolutely right. Take it from the top. Go through the whole process. Don't skip any steps. I, ha- I have a saying that I, I, it's not really taking off, but I think it should. Okay. Which is that if you're always cutting corners you're always running in circles, right? People are. Thank you. I've been trying to really, (laughs) but like, it's true. You know what I mean? It's like the point of cutting the corner is to get further ahead. But if you're always cutting corners, you just end up running in circles. And I think that that's what happens, whether it's us thinking we know the lead. Like one of the techniques in my book is to proactively uncover objections. Like instead of waiting till the very end of the call, to uncover an objection, you get about halfway in, you've built some rapport, you've asked a bunch of questions, you start building a relationship and you say, hey, by the way, if you agree that this insurance plan makes sense for you and your family, if when I present it, if you agree it makes sense, is there anything that would stop you from signing up today? Like if you ask that before you pitch and the person says, you know what, James, no. Nothing would stop me if it makes sense. That's the key phrase there, right? It has to make sense. It has to be a win-win or no deal. That's, I know they like to say that at K-Dub, but it has to make sense. And most people will tell you, even before you've pitched, if what you pitch makes sense, I'll absolutely pull the trigger. And But, you know, some of the most common objections in sales is stuff like, I need to wait and think about it. I need to shop around. I need to talk to my spouse, right? So what happens is, Those are usually fake objections. Those are usually what I call smoke screen objections that you get at the end of the call. And what the person is really saying, is they're saying, you didn't do a very good job. You're not very compelling or interesting. I didn't see more value than the cost, but I don't want to say all that and hurt your feelings. So I'm just going to say that I need to think about it instead. Hmm. That's what they're saying. Right. So, like that's literally like you can take it how you want to take it but so here's my point when you proactively uncover an objection halfway through prior to even pitching if they've got an objection that early and they haven't even seen the pitch then it's probably real if, if you haven't even pitched you say hey if everything makes sense would you be looking to move forward this week and they say well I'm, I don't move forward with anything without talking to my wife then it's probably true Because they haven't even heard the pitch. But at the very end, it's usually a lie. And what they're really saying is, you didn't convince me that you're the right solution. So that's one example, James, of a step that once you're good at sales, it's very easy to skip, right? Because you're sitting there thinking, they're going to want what I sell. They're not going to want to talk to their husband. They're not going to want to wait. I'm great at this. Yeah, let but me wow them with my knowledge, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a step you shouldn't skip, you know? Have that routine, stick to that routine. There, there was this one guy at Quicken Loans that I could never beat. Uh, I was usually in the top, like, three or four out of, you know, three or 400 people. And this kid, I remember his name, Dominic Pelleteri. He's probably still there making a ton of money. And the only reason I could never beat him is because he was better at being bored than me. He left his desk less, he made more dials, he used the script every time. And I have a little more ADD, so, you know, I like to go walk a little, you know, I, 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 I didn't want to sit there at my desk and rock for 12 straight hours like they wanted me to. Uh, I didn't always even grab the script and have it in front of me, like once I learned it, like you said, once I got good, I kind of got complacent. So, you know, the people that are number one whether it's in sports or whether it's in sales, they're doing the basics better than you and they're doing it every day. That, that's usually the key.
2: Uh, real quick, changing gears up a little bit. I mean, insurance agent, real estate agents, mm-hmm. you know, there's a million of us out there. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it just feels like we don't get the opportunity because there's so many somebody either knows someone or a friend with someone, goes to church, so whatever the case is,
1: mm-hmm.
2: can you dive in a little bit, the marketing and how you differentiate uh, to make yourself stand out more? I mean, you're, you uh, I mean, I'll tell you the first thing I noticed on your Instagram, which is fantastic by the way, and everybody should start following you uh, is I, I feel like you've got super simple messages. Mm-hmm. You keep it really straightforward and simple, but can you dive in at how you, you know, what what's your, viewpoint is on how to differentiate and set yourself up apart from the crowd when there's so many other real estate agents
1: out there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of shoes out there. There's a lot of jewelry out there. There's a lot of groceries out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the first thing you have to understand is that don't have a petty party because that's the way it works. Like it's called capitalism, you know? Mm-hmm. it's it's economics there if there is something that is in demand there will be people there to supply it um so that would be my first advice but my second advice man i'll tell you what i have never we we work with about a thousand people not and some quit some stay you know just like any other business the people that never quit and the people that get the biggest roi they actually have a personal brand, okay? Meaning they aren't just promoting listings and they're not just promoting solds and they're not just doing market reports and they're not just doing CMAs. They're, they're being themselves. Like you just complimented my Instagram, my Instagram is mostly me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not doing screenshots of curator features every day. I'm not making my whole Instagram feed testimonials about how great curator is. My whole Instagram feed is not quotes from my book. You know what I'm saying? I'm building a personal brand and people are often more attracted to a person online than a logo. And so I think the best of both worlds is is what we're trying to do here, which is the personal brand, which is more appealing and attractive to people, starts to build awareness for the actual brand. The way I think of it is very simple. You've got a funnel as a business, right? That's right on the front of my book. There's a funnel, right? So every business in the world is trying to figure out how do I take all those things, right? Instagram, email, text message, chat, Google, Facebook, hashtags, right? How do I turn all that into this? Isn't that what you guys really want? Yeah. You you wanna turn all that into money. You want to turn that all into what I would call bottom line results. And there's two ways to do that. You can chase business or you can attract business and a brand and having a culture and having values and having an opinion about the world is how you attract business. The way that you can build your business is you can do marketing and you can do advertising and you can do lead generation and you should. But the best brands in the world are brands. We we all look up to who? Tesla, Apple, Amazon, Disney, Nike. Why do you like Nike more than Puma? I mean, the shoes are about the same. It's the branding. It's the co-branding, right? I mean, I'm not wearing a fucking Reebok shirt right now. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that the brand really matters. And I think in a modern era, people are just as attracted to personal brands as they are business brands. So if you have the ability, go back to that funnel example, right? So this is our business funnel. But for me, for me personally, the funnel looks more like this. I've got this personal brand funnel pouring into the business funnel. That make sense you guys. Yeah. And then yeah. think about this. Imagine if you actually have good business partners and employees that do the same. So then what that means is I've actually got Chris and Jimmy, you guys know my co-founder Jimmy. Yep. So now I've got Chris and Jimmy's personal brand, both filling up this brand and then guess what I'm also going to do. I'm going to do amazing service and I'm going to have a great experience and I'm gonna deliver on the promise and then there's gonna be another funnel. Now there's this other funnel filling up my funnel. Guess what that is? Word of mouth, referrals, my clients sending me, see what I'm saying? So what most businesses have is just this one. You know what I mean? They just approach it like I've got a business and I need to fill the funnel. The best brands have personal brands, their employees are brands, their customers are sharing their brand. There's multiple funnels. I hope that explains it for people that are either listening or watching.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and it does. We, um, last week we had Jason Ciano on Mm -hmm. and he, he's very good at that. He's very good at having his personal brand and it pours into his company. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people can pick up on simply just getting on your social media on a daily basis and, and showing people who you are, Mm -hmm. right? And, and going into, you know, letting them see the negative, letting them see the positive and letting people to get to know you more so than, you know, just the persona that you put on when you go on social media.
1: Well, most of the people that hire realtors already, like they hire you guys because of you guys. Yeah. That's why it's so funny to watch all the brokerages battle over superiority when ultimately the agents are superior. Like if no offense, and I don't know if you're going to do this, but if you left Keller Williams, I don't think your business would go up or down very much the next year. I mean, and then if you left, whatever that company was again, you know what I'm saying? Like there's this guy named Eric Thomas. He's a curator client. He's one of the top motivational speakers in the world. And he has a saying that I love, which is winners win and losers lose. You know what I mean? Like, at the heart of a business, a business is just a bunch of people. Now, you can see that uh, there's not a bunch of people here today at my business. But a, a business is just a bunch of people. It's kind of like a city. We we use this analogy in people work. You guys are in Atlanta. When I say Atlanta, people think of something. They think about the South. They think about hip-hop. They think You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. when you say New York, they think about different stuff. When you say Hollywood, when you say San Francisco, right, so businesses are no different. When, when people think of your business, they think of stuff. And the difference is like, and this is a good example, like New York City, a lot of what we think about people in New York is that they're kind of rude and they're kind of like fast paced. But do, do you think there's any slow paced, nice people in New York too? There are. Think about Hollywood. We think about Hollywood, we think of actors, actresses, famous people. There's regular people. There's lots of regular people. Silicon Valley is not all Mark Zuckerbergs. Yeah. There's like a lady like making up a room at a hotel right now in San Francisco too. But the point is, if a large number of the people who inhabit your business are a certain way, that's what your business becomes. So, we want to be smart. We want to be real. We want to be passionate. We want to have energy. We want to be ahead of the curve. We want to care deeply about our customers. Like, that's just what we want to be. And that's what we've attracted, whether it's employees or customers. It's very liberating. You know, when when you can be who you really are and it attracts business, it's one of the best places to be, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, I
2: view, this, I view this podcast no differently. I mean, that's, that's why I was interested in doing the podcast is not only just to meet amazing people who are doing awesome things, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at that in social media, I, it seems like I struggle more with social media, but I can get on here and talk. I mean, it's mm-hmm. no different. Hey, you start at the bottom. You have a few people like it. You gain some more. You gain some more. You gain some more. I mean, I think the number one problem for probably anybody listening to this is trying to grow a business and on up is for myself included is not enough people know who the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. No matter if it's good or bad, nobody knows who I am. And yeah. I, I can't have problems with people not liking me if they don't know who I am.
1: And you also see other people marketing who they are. I mean, there's a guy, I think he works for state farm and this is a bad example cause I can't remember his name, but he, he is on every bu- bus bench and every billboard around town. And, like, if I were to go meet with him, I would have, like, almost a celebrity factor. That this, Oh, God, I'm, I'm actually meeting the guy and seeing all the signs, right? Yeah. So, like, you see that happen a lot with attorneys. You know, there are a lot of attorneys that go big on their personal brand. here where I'm at, there's a guy named John Morgan. Morgan & Morgan, for the people. Why do I know their slogan? You know what I mean? Because they are doing a lot of personal branding. Now, there's another attorney here named Dan Newland. And his marketing is more about the results he gets his customers. So if you go look at all the Morgan & Morgan stuff, Morgan & Morgan, for of the people, it's all about Morgan & Morgan. It works. If you go look at all the Dan Newland stuff, it's all, all the billboards are couples with a big-ass check that says, Dan got me, fill in the blank of the check amount. Yeah. So, there's more than one way to skin a cat. But what I would say is if you are, like you said, you kind of not as comfortable at social, you kind of suck at social. There's also a way to absolutely add people to your team that can grow your brand through their personal brand. I'll give you an example. When I got hired at Edmund News, my job title was chief evangelist. I had a popular, in-depth, social brand as a person when they hired me. Brad Enman, the guy that runs Inman News, you know, the godfather, if you will, this guy's been doing this a long time. He's trying to tweet every day. You're not trying to go start some new blog or video channel. This guy is successful. He's been around a long time. So in that scenario, Brad could have dusted off his sleeves and got out there and built his personal brand or he could hire me and hire Katie Lance. That's who did it for him. So it's not even this all or nothing, you know, and, and, and this is a little bit of a controversial topic, but like Colin Kaepernick doesn't work for Nike. He's not an employee. He might be on a contract. He may have got an endorsement deal, but that's another example of like, who is somebody that's out there in the world that has a brand and has a following, how can you go work with them? You guys are in Atlanta. There's obviously a lot of famous athletes that come through there. How can you do a partnership with a, a well-known local brand to build your brand? There's a lot of ways to do it, but it is important. There was a stat about, uh, you know, you do a Google search, right? You search for homes for sale in Atlanta or you search for marketing platforms for real estate agents, whatever you search, the number one impact on whether or not somebody clicks through on a Google ad, is is it a known retailer? Do I know the brand? So yeah, the words matter, the targeting matters, the copy matters, the destination matters. All that matters, but the thing that matters the most to consumers when they decide to click that blue link or not, is have I ever heard of these people? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's something that I know we're coming up on time, but that's something that we're working on as, you know, as, as the Corbin team Mm -hmm. right now, as we're focusing deeper on videos, like making sure that we are interviewing local businesses, interviewing Mm -hmm. the people that, that are in the business every day, whether they're doing, you know, carpets, whether they're doing, you know, a boutique or a boutique in, in inside the square and they're selling clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're making sure that we are in front of those people and, and interviewing them basically. And, and then it's also a siphon of, of their, of their, of their people. Yep. Right. And it allows us to get into it. And I think that's something that, that can be applied and whether you're in real estate, whether you're in, mm-hmm. you know, the grass cutting business, it's just about interviewing different people, for different things and it doesn't have to be an interview it can simply be a picture with you tagging them in it mm-hmm. and saying I just cut their grass and they loved it right
1: yeah well do you know how many people spotlight local businesses in a meaningful way not none
0: not, not too many <laughs>
1: not too many and what do you think it makes that business feel like when you do that you know they, they, they feel like rock stars and you're right this isn't I mean in a perfect world there would be some type of video and some type of you know, capturing of actually you meeting with them. But if you told me like, hey, Chris, what's your favorite uh, place to get, you know, sushi near your house? I would say, well, Sushi 99. I love it. What's great about it? Oh, they, the, the miso soup is money. They bring this little free crab thing my kids love every time. They've got these Japanese sodas and their hibachi is off the off the chart. Their white sauce is amazing. I could fucking write that right now. I just live here. I'm not a realtor. I'm trying to go monetize that. But like the ability to rinse and repeat what I just said in a very simple way. Like we have a client in Dallas He's a great guy named Jay Marks and it's Jay Marks real estate. And he has a thing called foodie Friday. He's a big guy. He likes to eat. And he goes to these restaurants and he loves food And he does what you're saying. He interviews the owner. He talks about the best dishes on the menu. And he gets more recognition locally for that than all the homes he sells. And he sells a lot of those too. And that goes back to my statement I made earlier. No matter how good you are at what you do, less than 5% of the people need you right now. But everybody's hungry. Everybody needs to get their car washed. Everybody wants to find a good dog park. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to find a good sale or, you know, one of the best things you guys can write about, we've done this for years, things to do this weekend in blank. What are the best thing? And you know what? Right now, a lot of that content sits on like the local papers website. You know what I mean? Like they have like a Friday edition where they, and they'll build, they don't play offense with it. Go write that same article And go put it in an email and play offense with it. Go put it in a Facebook ad on Thursday and Friday and play offense with it. You can really disrupt those folks and you can become where people get that information every week. And and it doesn't even have to be this weekend. Like this is a crazy one, but the article we wrote that got the most link clicks last year, it was about the best places to see Christmas lights in X city. So there's like, think about the best places to take your spouse for Valentine's Day dinner. Like these are ways to sort of stay relevant. You you asked earlier, how do I get that ROI? The other thing the best brands do is they don't forget about their past clients. You know, the majority of the past client marketing in this industry is either A, cheesy or B, non-existent. And so that's a trend that we're starting to pioneer, that we're starting to see is super effective is, how can you take a listing? How can you take a blog post? How can you take content and make it like client first? You know, the way that you write an article to engage your network versus to add to your network is very different. So things like writing articles or creating content specifically for your past clients and Sphere you know That's a good play as well, and I think a lot of the community stuff we mentioned, you kind of get a two-for-one there. Yeah, that's yeah. Really good. That is 100% right. Um,
0: well, we are coming up on time. I know you need to get, get to your next uh, meeting, and as do I, but I think what, what, what we can do is I'd like to talk more about just Curator in general uh, with you, and I'll send you an email with that, but uh, for sure, where can people find you at?
1: Yeah, people can go to curator.com if they're interested. We basically help people get more listings and turn their past clients into more referrals. It's it's not overly complicated. We do that by focusing on four things: grow your database, better lead follow-up, better past client marketing, and then social media branding and kind of expertise. It, all the experience I've had Every company I've worked for, they were always growing their database. They were always following up effectively. They were always keeping in touch with the people that already bought. And they were always trying to stay ahead of their competitor with the next thing, the next tactic, the next trick. So that's kind of the model we have at Curator. But uh, yeah, chris at curator.com. That's my email, C-U-R-A-Y-T-O-R. You mentioned Instagram. I'm very active there, chris underscore smth you can follow me on twitter pretty easy to find on all the social networks
0: sweet and what is one thing you would leave for the people listening if it could be anything in the world
1: yeah well i'm going to use the the title so you guys this podcast is called the grinder right and what i would leave everybody on this call is that you probably need to work more efficiently not more Uh, the, the, the amount of time You know, I love Eric Thomas, and he says, get up at 3 in the morning and start grinding. I love Gary Vee, and he says, hustle your face off. Like, I I don't believe in that. I believe that the number of hours that people waste is where the upside is. I I don't – like, if I work 6 to 8 inefficient, unfocused, unproductive hours a day, I'm not sure the solution is to drag that approach out to 12 or 14. So – I love to grind. I love my job. I love what I do. I do work really hard, but I I don't think it requires a lack of being a good dad, a lack of being a good husband, a lack of having a personal life. I I think that most of the people listening, uh, they trick themselves into thinking they don't have any time, but they all have Netflix, so they all have at least a little bit of time.
0: Love it. Love it. I appreciate you coming
1: on. Thank you. Good luck with your business. Keep in touch for sure.
0: Chris, thanks for it. Appreciate
1: you being on. No problem, guys. Thanks so much. See you.